Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of a Ronin Thought Podcast. This is Clint coming to you from on top of a volcano in the middle of the specific, the specific, the Pacific Ocean. I don't think I've ever done that correctly ever since I've been doing it. But anyways, I don't feel like uh, starting over again. Um, I've already started over again about five times uh, before this take. So we're just going to roll with it. So uh, I am not chewing on my big league chew right now. Uh, For anybody that remembers that, it it was a gum uh, that was put on the market, I think, uh, sometime in the 80s. And it basically looks like a a pack of chaw, like a pack of uh, red man chewing tobacco. But it is marketed for kids and it is just gum. So other than rotting your teeth out, um, no real health hazards, uh, maybe diabetes. I don't know. At, at any rate, um, it is a throwback for my youth. And I found some in a store in Hilo, uh, believe it or not, uh, which is very unusual, but you know, sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised with what I can find around here. Um, but yeah, so it took me back to being a kid again. I tried to get some more at the same place and, uh, they were out when I went back. So I ordered a bunch off of uh, the dark web. Uh, just kidding. Uh, Big League Chew actually has a website. You can get it on um, Amazon if you if you want to go that route too. But I ordered it uh, directly off of the Big League Chew website because they had um, like a variety pack. So at any, at any rate, um, yeah, I enjoy having that. It's, it's good to take along on... Um, long runs and then you know get a cheek full of that it's got a lot of sugar so bring your glucose up for sure um and yeah it's just really fun i just uh watched pretty recently a um documentary on netflix called the battered bastards of baseball um and i everything i talk about i've already got links up um on the soapbox page of uh com. Um, if you want to visit that, it is um, a runandthought.com. So it's A R U N N I N T H O U G H T dot com. So go to that. And then um, if you click on the soapbox um, in the navigation menu, it'll take you to the page where all of the links. Um, for things that I'll mention in this episode, uh, will be there for you handily so that you can, um, I guess, uh, what's the word, uh, for your curiosity, you can no longer be curious. You can, um, you can fill that void. And then also, uh, you can probably get like way better information than, than what I'm going to tell you, uh, on this entire episode, because I can remember, high points of most things. Um, but I'm not really an expert in any of this. So I think my role is just to pique your interest, but at any rate, uh, this documentary, the battered bastards at baseball, uh, it's linked, um, on the soapbox section of runandthought.com. And, uh, it's about the Portland Mavericks, which was a single a independent baseball team that was started by, uh, Bing Russell, who is Kurt Russell's father. Uh, 
Uh, spoiler alert, but at the end of it, it talked about the uh, genesis of Big League 2. And uh, Big League 2 was created by the players from that team uh, in 1980. It, I, th- I think it was 1980. might have been 1979, but somewhere around there. But yeah, enough about bubblegum. So uh, moving on, I started working on this episode back in January, believe it or not. It's uh, April now. Um, and it's not that I put a lot of work into, into this episode. It's just that I dragged the amount of work that I put into it out over uh, several months and uh, just procrastinated on recording it. But uh, this is very late. But uh, yeah, so for all of the <laughs> the people that participated in the Hurt 100 uh, back in December, I think, or maybe January, uh, congratulations. <laughs> so like I say, I, got, I started on this episode back then and got sidetracked. So um, to all the runners, pacers, volunteers, and organizers of the Hurt 100, um, you know, congratulations for a successful event. I'm wishing uh, anyone that's still recovering from from that SPD recovery, uh, if you are still recovering from that, then it's probably pretty bad. Um, but uh, you know, hang in there. A few of the people that participated that um, I I watched on Strava, my Strava feed, they were already back at it. You know, days after that, which is uh, tremendous. So good job to them. Um, golf clap for you. And then um, also I linked to the Book of Hurt, which is the all the official rules and details for the Hurt 100. Um, it is at arunandthought.com uh, on the Soapbox page. That's the last time I'm going to say that. From now on, you just know. If I say that it's linked, that's where it's at. Um, so yeah, onward into uh, the next thing. So back in the day, <laughs> back in January, I uh, I used to be on LinkedIn. Um, I remember it like it was only yesterday, uh, but it was, I think, back in January or maybe December. But I, uh, I hibernated my account mostly because uh, Microsoft is super evil. Uh, I'm, I, I say that in jest. Um, I don't think they're evil, but they're super, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, not private. Like I, I think, uh, let's see, how do I not get sued by Microsoft? Uh, I think that, um, they are as they're kind of on par with every other, uh, company that provides software solutions to consumers and that I, I just don't think they're super private. And then, um, you know, LinkedIn is owned by them or, to to the best of my knowledge, it, it was at one time, still is, but yeah. So there's that aspect of it. Um, it is sort of like a uh, social media platform now, more than anything. At least my feed had turned into that or devolved into that. Um, I just didn't understand quite what it was for. You know, some people swear by it, but I never had any awesome job opportunities or meaningful work connections with it. So, you know, most of the people that I was connected to have my number anyway, but I digress. Uh, The point being is that while I was on LinkedIn, I was following a running group and one of the members, uh, Megan, was posting her daily marathons. That's right. I said daily 
and marathons in the same sentence. Uh, she set out to do 96 marathons in 96 days, which is a lot uh, for, for me and I think for anybody. And so uh, if you do the math on that, and which I already did, um, it, that's 96 days times 26.2 miles. So that equals uh, 2,515.2 miles, which is more than I've ever run in a single year. Uh, and she was trying to do that in about three months. And I was totally rooting for her. Unfortunately, Megan broke herself uh, on day 41. I mean, she made it to day 41, which is like nothing to scoff at. So uh, 41 times 26.2, that's 1,074.2 miles. That's still almost as much as I've ever run in one single year. Uh, I'm pretty sure she'll be back. Uh, something about that uh, sweet, sweet revenge that just eats away at... Uh, a person that's got that mindset to set out to do 96 marathons in 96 days. Um, she'll, she'll be back for revenge, I'm sure. And I'm wishing her luck on that. Unfortunately, I probably won't get to see it because I don't plan on getting back on LinkedIn anytime soon. Um, I will have to unhibernate my profile to share this episode with Megan and occasionally keep up with her comeback, maybe. Uh, anyway, Good work, Megan, and uh, heal up and start plotting. Uh, let's see. Now it's time for the Hawaii Ultra Rundown. I checked Ultra Sign Up before I started recording, and I only see two things for uh, the area code that I'm in, and the events that I see are Under the Moon, which is a 200K, 100K, a 100K relay, a 50K, and I believe a 50 miler. And that's going to be on Saturday, June 11th of 2022. And it's listing Hilo, Hawaii. So I'm not sure if it actually starts in Hilo. I do believe it does. I think that that one goes uh, over Saddle Road. So I believe you go from Hilo to uh, more Kona word. I don't, uh, you don't get to Kona, I don't think, but you, you go that way. Um, pardon me if I'm mistaken, because to be honest, I did not look at the, the route map. I'm going off of my bad memory. But uh, Go Big is the next event that is on Ultra Sign Up, and that is a 260 miler, a 260 miler relay, uh, 100 miler, and I've got. Uh, some things that are partially not visible. So let me see if I can expand this column out. Okay, so the 100 miler relay, 100 miler, uh, 100 kilometer, a 50 kilometer, and then I think a 50 mile. Yeah, so lots of um, different distances if you're interested in those two. And that's also listing uh, Hilo, Hawaii, I believe, but those different distances may start in, in uh, different areas. So you need to check the race page for, for that. You can go to ultrasignup.com. And the area code I used um, was mine. And there's only a few area codes, or not area codes, um, zip codes. 
you can just type in Hawaii County. You should be able to, to set that up. I'm only reading for just Hawaii County. I'm not looking at um, other islands, FYI. So sorry about that, other islands. They're just like for Hawaii County, it's super easy to pull up a list and, you know, read a couple off. But like trying to rattle off like hundreds of stuff for neighboring islands, I it's just too much. My, my voice would go out. At any rate, um, I'll probably c- contradict myself here uh, as I move on to uh, running in the USA.com. And uh, again, I'm looking for Hawaii County upcoming events. And it looks like June 4th, 2022. This is actually a triathlon, but uh, the Ironman is taking place in Waimea, Hawaii. That's going to be on a Saturday. Um, June 11th, 2022. I already read that off. That's uh, Under the Moon. Um, skip, skip. And then we've got the Kona Marathon, which if you didn't know, if you didn't receive an email already, uh, that event has been canceled. And I do believe that applies to the half marathon, 10K, and the 5K run for the Kona Marathon this year. Um, check their webpage, the race page, just to be sure. But I think all those events are canceled. So uh, July 4th, 2022, a salute to our veterans uh, at Hilo Bay. This is a 5K run, um, July 30th, 2022. Volcanoes Ohia Lahua Runs is uh, putting on a th- half marathon and a 5K run, and that is going to be in Volcano on September 17th, 2022. This is a favorite of mine, um, and actually this is reminding me that I should sign up for this. Uh, the Kau Coffee Trail Run. Uh, it's a half marathon, a 10K and a 5K trail run. It is challenging, by the way. Um, I usually don't talk too much about these races on a, 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 a in a detailed uh, manner, but this one is sort of a favorite. I've done it a couple times. It's on um, the property of the Kau uh, Coffee, uh, I guess, mill. I, I think that's right. I think that's what you call coffee manufacturing facility. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so where they're actually growing the, the coffee trees, um, you're running through there. Um, I don't know if they're actually coffee trees that they might be coffee bushes. I don't know. But anyways, coffee plants, whatever, uh, they look like trees, but anyways, you run through the, the coffee fields and then it kind of like goes up into sort of like a, a cow pasture kind of thing, but it's uh, like, you go down through uh, some coffee fields and then you sort of like curve back up and then it's like you're just going up forever. So it's a it's a really challenging um, uphill on that half marathon. And then, of course, um, eventually you get to a point where you're coming back downhill. It's been a couple, couple of uh, years since I've run it um, because of COVID. And then I think I just... Uh, I may have skipped one year before because I wasn't feeling too great. But anyways, that one I'm excited about. And again, in case I didn't mention it before, that is a half marathon 10K and a 5K. And it is a trail run. So bring your trail shoes. Uh, this may be getting way too far ahead, but uh, October 8th, 2022. Uh, I've already read this. Uh, no, this is different. Ironman World Championship. 
I guess that is the finalist event. And um, by the way, that is a Boston Marathon qualifier. Uh, and that's going to be in Kona, of course. Uh, November 12, 2022, the 100% pure Kona coffee half marathon. Uh, that is in Kailua, Kona, Hawaii. Um, November 12th, 2022, the FLWR Walk Run for Literacy will be uh, in Waikoloa, and that is a 5K run. Um, on November 25th, 2022, the Ultraman World Championships in Kailua, Kona. That's a ultra triathlon. March 19th, 2023. That is a Sunday. And I'm like into next year, but um, this one deserves mention. This is another cool uh, marathon. And they've got some shorter distances as well. Uh, this is a good one for, you know, just bring the family out. Um, when I've run this in the past, I've run the marathon. And then like my wife and my son will do... Uh, another distance. I don't remember if they did 10K or 5K, but but yeah, it's a nice, uh, for the marathon, it's a nice uh, course, and you get to see some things that you normally don't pay attention to when you're driving um, through the same areas. So that is uh, a marathon, half marathon, 10K, 5K, and two-mile run. There is a virtual option if you're interested in that. And again, that's going to be in Hilo. Um, and what the heck, I'll just read this off too. Uh, March 26, 2023, the Lava Man Triathlon. Uh, that is a an Olympic triathlon, it says. And that's in Waikoloa. When you start talking triathlons, like I, I know it's swim, bike, run. That's about all I know. I just kind of like don't read ahead on these and I'm just mentioning them uh, because they're on this page. Uh, sorry, I'm not a multitasker. So usually I'm more interested in the runs, but hey, you know, if there's any tribe people that are listening to this, I hope that um, it'll be a helpful reminder. Uh, or I should say, if there's anybody listening to this, <laughs> then I hope that uh, that information helps you out. And so I think that about wraps it up for all of the um, the upcoming uh, events. I call this section the Hawaii Ultra Rundown. Not all of those were ultras. Uh, I'd say a majority of those weren't ultras, but that's okay. Um, I'm not trying to be snooty here. So yeah, let me um, close out these windows and get some more screen real estate here, and then we'll move on. So I think last episode, uh, or maybe another episode, I talked about Tarahumara, Tarahumara. I, I think I mispronounced that a lot. Um, at any rate, I talked about their um, the book Born to Run by uh, Christopher McDougall. So if you've not read it or listened to it, then please do um, give it a read or give it a listen. I need to actually take it in again myself. There's a lot of great information in it, and it's a page turner as well. Uh, I'll post this link um, and you know everything else that's worth searching for on uh, the place that I told you that I would post it earlier that I said I wouldn't say again because I kept uh, repeating over and over. But yeah, you should know where to find it by now. Um, 
And I know that it is available on Audible, if you'd rather listen there. I think that's where I have it. I listen to it um, rather than read it. It's fun to actually listen to while you're running. So there's a thought. Uh, in it, the author explains how to make a drink called Escate um, or Chia Fresca. It's got uh, chia seeds, water, honey, and lime. And it's a great energy shot uh, pre, post, or during a long effort. Uh, there's a link to the recipe posted up on the place that I said, <laughs> on runningthought.com. Uh, I always use uh, honey instead of sugar or agave or what have you. And this is part of the culture of the Raramuri, uh, also known as Tarahumara, the indigenous people of the Copper Canyon in Mexico. Uh, there's a lot of interesting facts about the Raramuri. Um, you can find a bunch of them at ofact.com slash Tara Umara and that's uh, T-A-R-A H-U-M-A-R-A right? Tara Umara dash tribe dash facts um, you might remember last episode we speculated that early man might have hunted by running animals to exhaustion um, maybe you don't remember that but you were just reminded so hopefully that's duly noted According to the OFAC.com page, uh, the tribesmen of the Tarumara chase animals until they are exhausted and then uh, they shoot them. Uh, this method's been termed as persistence hunting. For instance, when cattle fall off in fatigue from running, the hunter picks it up on their shoulder and runs homeward. So actually, I said they shoot them, but the precise terminology they use uh, was tribesmen of the Tarumari chase animals until they're exhausted and then aim at them. So I think they just run at them and pick them up, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Worth more investigating if you're curious about that. So at any rate, it seems like there could be something to the... Uh, hypothesis of running development as part of hunting. So another thing um, Robert Murray do is run ultra distances, well over 26.2 miles. Um, they do this barefoot or in Harachi sandals that they make from leather and tires. Uh, links are up on aroundandthought.com uh, for a site that shows how to make these. You can also buy a modern version of these sandals um, at zeroshoes.com. Uh, I was curious, so I bought the DIY Feel True sandal kit. Um, they were out of the Vibram kit that I wanted, but the Vibram material is available on Amazon and some other online vendors. Uh, just uh, get ready for sticker shock though, because 11.4 inch by 35.8 inch piece is 75 to a hundred dollars and that's enough I think to make several pairs of sandals but still that's a lot for a thin piece of rubber but Vibram is uh, good stuff though it's pretty tough and it grips uh, wet slippery materials pretty well the kit that I bought though came with a proprietary rubber sole 
from Zero Shoes and it arrived by USPS in a few days. Simple to put together. Um, if you do buy from Zero Shoes, your purchase helps support the Tarumara Indians in Mexico. Uh, they've been suffering under drought, food shortages, lack of access to healthcare, and uh, other challenges. So when you order a Feel True DIY kit, Zero Shoes donates 5% of the purchase price to Tarumara Children's Hospital Fund to provide support. That said, um, I still want to make some of these out of leather and tire or Vibram cherry material that I mentioned before. Um, I tested the ones that I bought, which were just the proprietary, you know, rubber material and um, more or less just a piece of uh, rope <laughs> that you kind of tie around your foot and ankle. Um, I tested these out around the house. Uh, I walked around the local mall and then I took them out for a three mile trail run. Um, there's some finesse to like tying them and getting the right fit. My left foot was fine. The right foot got a bit of rope burn from the lacing. Um, you know, I'm not blaming the shoes. It's probably just, you know, my lack of knowledge and tying them and sort of like tweaking um, the fit. I have to say that uh, running in them, my mind was hyper-focused on not slamming my toes into rocks and roots. Um, and so that kind of took my, um, my focus off of where I was actually going. I was staring at the ground quite a bit. Uh, after talking to two other people who have tested uh, similar sandals, they shared my trepidation for running on rocky trails with these. And uh, one confirmed that a toe strike full stride would indeed uh, bust open a toe. So my advice is to proceed with caution. Um, that's probably the best approach with these and just take a while to get accustomed to them before doing anything too extreme. Um, baby steps as it were. Be mindful that uh, your foot is completely exposed on all sides and, and a lot on the bottom as well because the sole is just you know very thin. Um, you know, just to update on this, after three months, um, four months, closer to four months, I think, these have not left the floorboard of my truck much uh, since my three-mile test run. I have found them handy to have in the truck because they don't take up a lot of space. And, like, when I come back from running in my uh, thick and comfortable Ultra Mont Blancs, uh, that are soaking wet because we've been getting a lot of rain here um, for the past couple months. It's good to take those shoes and socks off and then um, have the zero shoes in the truck to sort of transition over to. I think that if a person were to become more accustomed to them and, and um, practice, I guess, running and toughening up their feet, um, you know, there's definitely a chance. I don't want to make it sound like these are, are not um, viable or are not useful. It's just you have to put in some some time. You have to put in some miles on them before you're ready to, I think, run naturally um, in them, especially on trail. Uh, so speaking of toughening up feet... I've been brainstorming on how to toughen mine up 
they're still super sensitive from being crammed in cushion footwear for 40 plus years. And this is fine. Um, based on my initial experience, I won't be running barefoot, like I say, anytime soon. Uh, still, though, it would be nice to cow things up a bit and build a little tougher natural padding. Um, one method would be spending more time barefoot on semi-rough terrain. Um, I've tried a couple steps on just some rocky terrain, like some, some loose, uh, not really gravel, but, but sort of like loose lava rock, about as big as your thumb, you know, just chunks of, of that. I mean, more than a couple steps I couldn't really do. And I definitely couldn't do it like full stride or with any kind of speed or efficiency. So anyways, um, I have other things that I've been thinking of. I've got this uh, acupressure foot map that, you know, we found, me and my wife, we found it at uh, H-Mart, which is a Korean grocery chain, uh, when we lived in Atlanta. Uh, if you think about, like, a bed of nails, it's, that's what it is, except it's made out of plastic. It's meant to uh, stimulate pressure points. You stand on it uh, and or bear down on it with, with you know, full or partial weight. And it's uh, supposed to hit pressure points in your foot and, and do good for that. But I think it would also toughen it up if you were constantly uh, standing on it or rubbing your feet on it. So I've been working um, barefoot or in socks during the day with it under my desk and sort of like grinding on it, uh, for lack of a better word, um, a bit. And then uh, also I'll stand on it for as long as tolerable, which is not very long. So I'm not sure if, you know, using it long term would, wouldn't cause nerve damage. So, uh, you know, don't try this at home, I guess. Another idea I haven't acted on yet is um, to design like a 3D printed spike sandals or, uh, or insoles to like walk around walk around on and uh, simulate rough terrain like with every step. I'm not expecting a Nobel Prize for that idea, but conceptually it could be sort of interesting. I don't think it will be super practical, but it's, it's definitely worth a, a try. I think that this kind of um, wacky antics type thinking might be fun to display on... Um, a progress page like spark.com. If you're not familiar with that, uh, spark.com was a site in the nineties, early two thousands that had a bunch of crazy experiments on it. Like the fat project where a man and a woman tried to gain 30 pounds in 30 days. And, uh, there was another project called stinky feet where a guy wore bags on his feet, among other things to try to get foot fungus to, to grow. Uh, you can still check this page out. It's on the web archive. Um, again, I'll post a link on runandthought.com. Uh, yeah. And, uh, it would be fun to do crazy things like 3d prints things and track progress and have, uh, a wacky site like spark.com. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I'm, I'm barely making these podcasts with the <laughs> with any uh consistency so let me um let me do that first 
and then uh, we might branch out on the uh, website. So moving on, uh, I want to discuss the difference between male and female running shoes. You may remember I was talking about Ultra's new shoe, the Mont Blanc. It's not new anymore, um, but last time uh, I was talking about it, Technically, it wasn't out yet. Somehow, some way, Roadrunner Sports had the female version only in a size 12 online. And this is roughly my size. I'm a U.S. Uh, men's size 10.5. Uh, the women's version of the shoe weighs 6.9 ounces, which is actually lighter than the men's version. Um, there are reasons for that. And uh, I posted links on... Um, runthought.com you can check those out uh, one of them's from livestrong.com and the other one's from runshoestore.com their blog and these give um, pretty simple but good synopsis of the differences between male and female running shoes um, anyways getting back to the uh, the Mont Blancs I jumped on a chance to order these according to the internet's Male and female shoe models, like I already mentioned, are not, are often not built the same. So I didn't really know what to expect um, getting these girl shoes. I had a lot of good jokes out of it. Um, technically, I was cross-dressing for, you know, several months wearing these until I wore them slap out and had to get a, another pair. Uh, but... I had these for a few months and I enjoyed them. No major issues. My knees are a little less painful during and after runs now. I was wearing the Olympus before and those were just entirely too heavy for day-to-day um, -day use, at least for me. I just got tired of um, having that much weight on my feet. So the Mont Blancs were perfect because they're a lightweight shoe. Surprisingly durable. Uh, I was expecting them to fall apart. I have had ultras in the past um, that just kind of like disintegrated after a couple of uses. So I can say like the build quality on uh, the Mont Blanc is a lot better than than what my expectations were. So, so far, pretty pleased with that. Um, I'm actually on my second pair. Uh, these do have Vibram soles, which is great. Like I said before. It's a durable um, rubber, and it makes good traction on wet, slippery surfaces. Uh, some things that were kind of weird, um, the insoles were flimsy, and they kind of slid around and bunched up and caused blisters. And this was on the, the women's model now. Um, the men's seemed to be a bit wider in the heel, and... Um, I've had some, but not as many blister issues with those. Uh, yeah, I've been pleased more, I think, with the, the men's model. Uh, I've got sort of wide and, I guess, like stubby feet, like Fred Flintstone feet. So um, having that men's model, and I'm, I'm, I'm a heavier guy, so I'm like 222 pounds. So having... Um, I guess a little bit more cushioning. The shoes weigh a little bit more than the um, the men's shoes weigh a little bit more than the women's model, um, and I think that's because they have more cushioning. They're built to um, withstand a little bit more impact and not center of gravity, but uh, the 
the hip, like the the distance between, uh, or the hip is I think narrower in males. So there's a little bit uh, different, I guess. Um, I'm trying to sound educated, but I'm really not. Um, the, and you can probably tell. So uh, the the hips a little bit narrower in males. So I think like the the point of impact is a little bit different from. Uh, that and female. So having cushioning in the right place and having more of it um, seems to be better for, for me. And I, I, not having this sort of n- more narrow uh, heel is working out well too. Another thing that's uh, helped me, and I'm sort of transitioning here, uh, I began to use the top lace holes in my shoes. Um, I finally learned how to properly use these top eyelets. And I'm not usually one to care about really anything, but uh, I don't stretch. I usually just slip or force my shoes on. Uh, all the irresponsible childlike things that a person can do, I, I um, fit that profile. Uh, but anyway, there's a particular lacing that's called runner's loop, which is supposed to make the fit more snug. Uh, there are awesome tutorials on this and a bunch of other lacing methods. Uh, on REI's site and it's actually kind of a it's not a tricky link but um, it's several uh, directories deep so it's rei.com slash learn slash expert dash advice slash lacing dash running dash shoes dot html uh, that is linked at a running thought.com in case you don't remember everything that I just tried to spell out there uh, some highlights, runner's loop. I started using the runner's loop and it is great for keeping the laces snug. It's supposed to prevent heel slip as well. I got a huge blood blister from hiking out. This was in the uh, Olympus before I changed over to Mont Blancs, Mont Blancs, whatever, however you want to say it. Um, but I got a huge blood blister from, from that, just hiking like at a slower pace. Uh, out and back from Pu'o, um, which is sort of a, I wouldn't say it's it's tough as far as like the, the gradation or, or whatever, but it's an exposed hike and it's pretty slow. I, I guess you could run it, but you're also taking on a lot of risk of like falling on lava rock. But anyways, um, blood blisters, I got them from running, or not running, from sort of hiking and walking out and back from there. Um, it was more time on feet, and I think my my um, heels were slipping up and down more maybe, and I think there was some bunching of the insole, which was kind of pressing and making hot spots. So um, I also believe that hiking, I'm not using as much forefoot uh, as I am when I'm running. So there's more pressure on the heel, and that's where I got the blood blisters. Uh, So this uh, runner's loop requires some dialing in because if you get it too snug, it's uncomfortable, and um, it's definitely not going to loosen up at all. It's very secure. Uh, There's another type of lacing which I haven't used. It's uh, window lacing. That's to relieve tight fit or pressure on the forefoot. And so basically with this, and you can look it up on, on the site I mentioned before, REI.com, uh, they show you exactly how to do it. I believe there's even videos. Um, so 
this is basically just creating like a a window, but it's it's basically like a uh, a void, like a a place where instead of like crisscrossing laces on your forefoot, it um, it goes around and sort of just makes no crisscross, like right on the the crest of your uh, the top of your foot. So there's no lace like pushing down on that area where it, it's the tightest, I guess. Um, but yeah, anyway, window lacing, check it out. Uh, reef knot. That's just the traditional way of tying, um, the, the way you tie a shoe. Uh, granny knot is like the traditional way, but, uh, it's in the reverse direction. So I recommend the runner's loop. That's what's been working for me i like it and you get to use that top eyelet which uh a lot of people don't use it just is it doesn't have a lace through it or you might put the lace through it but it's just like it chokes up on your foot um having the runner's loop it sort of like locks it down so that your heel doesn't slip as much uh, at any rate moving on to a different subject uh, 100 miler list. We'll probably revisit this. Uh, I wanted to sort of cover like a, I guess at a high level, what and how to pack for a 100 miler, kind of do a rundown of that. So I'm not one to say that you got to have this, this, and this to run, uh, at least not generally speaking. Uh, matter of fact, I recently downgraded from a hydration vest to a fanny pack and uh, one liter handheld water bottle uh, that I use for longish runs where refill locations are available along the route. For a 100 miler though, uh, you have to put a lot of thought and preparation. That's a requirement. And you'll need to amass, curate, procure, uh, befriend people and items to help solve a number of issues that may arise during the day um, or almost two days if you're like me. Uh, and so I've kind of categorized this. I'll try to get through this as unclunky as I can, but uh, the first category is mental. So what you need to bring to the table mentally. Um, the first is a sense of humor. So to briefly elaborate on that, it's good to be able to laugh at yourself. It's good to be able to laugh at others. You've got um, people that are going to be trying to help you. It's good to be serious, but then at the same time, you know, some of the people that are helping you, they may not be like as invested in, um, you know, the serious running aspects of this thing as you are. They may be more concerned with your general health and safety. And um, they may actually be anxious too because they're trying to do a good job for you. And if you're super serious and you're barking at them and, um, you know, you're making them have a bad time. I mean, look, not that many people want to go hang out in the woods uh, in, you know, all kinds of uh, varying weather conditions. Uh, you're the one that's out there, like, getting to, quote, unquote, have fun uh, doing what you're loving to do. Like, you know, I'm sure there are some people that love to be uh, pacers and love to be crew and, and stuff like that. But in general, they're taking time out of their... Um, they're off time to come help you, uh, complete, you, you know, the accomplishment that, that you want to go for. Um, 
complete your goals. So it's good to have a sense of humor about things and be able to, to like dish it out, right? Uh, appropriately. And then also to, to receive it. Okay. So sense of humor, number one, uh, number two, toughness. And I'm not talking about just like physical toughness. You're going to need that too. But, uh, we're, we're talking about mental here. And, um, my grandfather coined it, coined a phrase, sticky to itness. Uh, and I like that phrase. And I think that pretty much sums it up. You, you need to have the ability to make a decision and stick to it. And so when you make a big decision, like I'm going to run a hundred miles or I'm, you know, I'm going to complete a hundred miler, then you need to stick to it. Uh, when, I mean, not just for yourself, but for all the people that are, that are helping you as well. It's, it's not very cool to like have these people trying to, to work things out for you and, and help you meet your goal. And then you just up and quit because of, uh, a momentary setback or, or something that you could overcome. You need to have mental toughness and that comes through practice. You have to build that up. And so you need to bring that to the table, uh, doing a hundred miler. I, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's always exceptions to the rule, but by and large, like most people are not going to just, you know, go from running like road marathons into running trail, um, hundred milers. Uh, and, and completing them uh, in, within the time limit, it's tough. You have to you have to practice um, sort of on the terrain and on the uh, the elevation and and in the conditions uh, that you'll be running in to to sort of ensure uh, any modicum of, of success. So yeah, sticky to itness, and uh, you're gonna have to to build that up, that mental toughness. Uh, number three, a doable purpose or goal. Um, I thought of my grandfather a lot while I was doing the 100-miler that that I completed a couple of years ago. I hate to be such a glory days person. I do, uh, there is another 100-miler that I've got my my uh, sights set on, but, um, but I'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, so when I did mine, uh, my grandfather came into my mind for a couple reasons because he was the sticky to itness guy um, and somebody that I I looked up to and I, I loved quite a bit and uh, still do. I mean, he's not been with us for a long time now, but uh, he was a tough old man. And uh, yeah, I looked up to him quite a bit. But uh, what was the other reason for <laughs> for my grandfather. Oh, yes. So so my grandfather and I spent a lot of time in the same um, environment as the uh, 100-miler that I completed. So a lot of the you know places around Johns Mountain um, and the surrounding areas, I had actually been with my, my grandfather in the past. And so um, it was sort of like a nice reminder. So in the midst of like exquisite pain, I could think of uh, good times that I had had with, um, with my grandfather. And, uh, yeah, other than just, you know, if you don't, if you're not, um, I guess, uh, if you're not lucky enough to have that kind of association, uh, have some other goal. Like, you know, if even if it's just, you know, very static and, and very, um, 
you know, direct, like I am going to complete this, uh, hundred miler for myself, you know, uh, that could be your, your purpose and just, you know, stick to it. Uh, but in general, it helps to have a little bit more of a elaborate, uh, motivation than just, you know, I'm going to complete it. I mean, for some people that would, that would work, but yeah, do some thinking, think about why you need to complete it. Like, what are you trying to, are you trying to prove something or, um, is it, you know, is it an indicator of fitness or, or what, what's your goal? So yeah, moving on to the body. Uh, what you'll need to take for your, your body. And these are just recommendations. I'm not a, uh, a doctor, obviously. Uh, I'm not a nutritionist uh, or a professional in any way, shape, or form. I've done these events, but uh, you know, I do what works for me, and that may not work for everybody else. But I try to dispense advice that I, I think will be helpful. And so just take it with a grain of salt. Practice. If you want to take any of this advice, practice with the things that I'm mentioning. See if they work for you like well before the actual event day or you could um, you could be in for a rude surprise. So at any rate, for your body, you're going to need to hydrate. Uh, definitely need water. I use Scratch, which is a drink. Uh, it's an electrolyte mix. Um, and in general... According to Dr. Michael Garrison, PhD from Hawaii Running Lab, uh, and my consultation with him a while back, you should drink electrolytes and eat your nutrition. So um, eat the, the food part and then drink electrolytes. I guess that kind of means like stuff like Tailwind, where it, you're drinking your nutrition maybe i don't know maybe that's not as good as as eating it that's debatable again do what works for you i actually was sucking down tailwind and scratch uh during my event but i was also supplementing with uh with actual food i was trying to eat actual food as well um during the course of everything but uh that brings me to another point food uh the taste and texture preference for food and your tolerance for it is going to change throughout the event on a hundred miler. Like everything's variable things that you would never think you would hate in a million years. You'll probably hate, uh, at some point along the course. And then things that you, um, you don't like, you know, you may love just because your, your body needs more, uh, salt or, or, sugar or whatever. Um, but my go-tos are jerky. I usually have beef jerky in my pack because it provides uh, sodium and protein. And I think it takes a little bit longer to digest. So it's sort of like a slow release of uh, energy on the back end. Uh, scratch gummies, I take those with me. Some of them are caffeinated. And so that's nice to have that little extra jolt. Uh, Lenny and Larry's Complete Cookie. Uh, my favorite are the, they're not chocolate chip, they're not oatmeal raisin, I'm trying to think. They're, it's not ginger snap. It's like, uh, man, I cannot remember. 
these, but they, they have like kind of like sugar dusting, um, not powdered sugar, but like um, granulated sugar on the outside. And there's sort of like a cinnamon type flavor. And I can't remember the, the exact flavor. But anyway, Lynn and Larry's Complete Cookie, they've got um, protein in them. And they're just uh, something of substance that you can uh, chew, chew on. But again, like texture wise, you'll get tired of chewing things, I think, like as, as the event drags on. So like I mentioned before, uh, Tailwind was something that I used and it worked well for me, but you may not like it. It may not work well for you. Um, do your research on whatever it is that you're planning to take with you. Uh, also for your body, it's a must. You should take a Mylar blanket and uh, you should also, to a lesser degree, bring a washcloth always with you. The blankets for emergency warmth, visibility, uh, most of them are, well, they're all reflective, I think. And then uh, some of them have like an orange coating on one side or orange coloration on one side, uh, which you can uh, use as an emergency signal, a help signal. Uh, you could also use these for a quick seven-minute uh, reset nap along the way. Uh, if you do use it for naps, I recommend napping only at aid stations where uh, staff or your crew can make sure to wake you up. And I would not recommend anything more than seven minutes and don't make a big habit of it throughout the uh, event. Otherwise, you'll, you might miss your cutoff times. The washcloth is, uh, you know, just keep it on your person. You can soak it in a stream. And wash off your face, which sort of gives you, uh, it, it tricks your body and gives you a reset uh, just a little bit. It's not, you know, it's not a miracle worker, but it can help you feel better at least. Uh, personal first aid. So on your person, I mean, carry bag balm or body glide and uh, ace wrap and sunscreen. And then like actually use the body glide or bag bomb and uh, sunscreen along the way and it'll pay dividends uh, at the end because you you'll probably still be chafed and blistered and a little bit sunburnt but not nearly as bad as if you don't take care of yourself uh, again with a hundred mile or more effort your your thinking should be uh, more strategic than tactical you don't want to uh, necessarily try to grunt through this it pays to be smart and um, and leverage the tools that you have with you to get through it for gear uh, we're moving from body into gear uh, I recommend taking extra socks so wet feet are no good uh, I personally mostly use uh, Belega and Thorlos are also good uh, nothing's going to feel too great as the trail drags on, but uh, thicker soles with wool are good. If you've got extra shoes, bring them, bring them, uh, especially if there are river crossings. Usually there are in a hundred mile event. Sometimes there might not be, but uh, yeah, bring extra shoes if you got them. At least one pair, just in case. And uh, you can always, too, take, if you don't have extra shoes, uh, you can take your shoes off and your socks and go through barefoot and just hold your 
shoes overhead and then put them on on the other side of the river. So up to you. Um, by the end of the 100 miler, if you're anything like me, you won't be able to bend down to tire and tire shoes or let alone take them off or or even have the wherewithal to to like figure all that out um at any rate uh optimally also carry two packs with you so have one to wear and then one to be replenished and swapped out at each aid station when possible so that's what I did. It worked well. I had two identical Solomon packs with um, hydration bladders in them. And every time I would get to an aid station, my crew would hand me a totally replenished pack. And so I kind of briefed them beforehand. You know, this is what I need. I need this water full. Put, you know, this many scoops of scratch in the, um, the bag. And then I would let them know, like, if I wanted to change to... Um, to tailwind um, and then they could go ahead and get that ready for me. I could pick it up next time when I swapped out my bag and then they would put like food and stuff in there um, as requested. And so it's good to, to plan as well with your crew. Um, so yeah, the two packs to be able to just quickly swap out to a replenished pack each time. Gloves are good to have for scrambling, uh, rope climbing, or just uh, for warmth. Uh, shorts, leggings, you should have some that uh, have been field tested. So you never want to bring and, and like use something totally new for the first time uh, on a 100-mile effort. That's, that's a bad idea or just an ultra effort in general, because you never know like where you're going to get chafed or, or the severity. And so it's good to find that out and sort of be knowledgeable of it before uh, you, that's the only thing you have to depend on, uh, you know. So yeah, shorts or leggings or both uh, to change into, and I recommend bringing extra of those too, because you're going to get like wet and sloppy and gross, and it really is nice it's a great feeling, even though you're not going to be clean to change into something that's dry, even if it's just for a few minutes. Um, it does a lot for your morale. As far as your crew, I've already touched on this a little bit. Uh, support. Uh, prepare your crew with maps of the course, checkpoints, aid stations, and a general timeline to help them manage their schedule. Uh, don't forget them before, during, and after the event as well. Show them love. It's not all about you. Uh, like I was saying before, have a sense of humor um, and try to remember that they're there to help you. Like, you, you know, they're not obligated um, as much as you may feel like it. They're really not. So be cool, man. Be cool. Uh, for Pacers, my crew, uh, who double as my heroes, Pulled double duty as my pacers to hike me home, uh, especially in the last miles, and it made all the difference in the world. I was out of it and would have not known which way to go. Uh, for 98% of the trail, though, no pacer was needed for me. Um, but yeah, like I say, the last couple of miles, I was so out of it. Like I thought I was done four miles before the actual finish, and if it wouldn't have been for them, I would have never found my way to the finish line. So yeah, 
uh, for drop bags. This is a highly debated topic, but here's general guidelines for me. Generally, these should be necessities and not the kitchen sink. Someone has to carry these to drop locations, which could be exposed to rain or shine. Uh, and there's a likelihood that the contents may never be seen again. These things get mixed up sometimes uh, or you forget them at the event and then maybe you live in another state or whatever. So keep all that in mind when you're packing them. You maybe don't want to have too expensive of a bag like packaging. And then uh, also, you know, don't put too many valuable things inside of them. Uh, but in general, you're going to need first aid to treat blisters and chafing. So like moleskin, scissors, betadine, or alcohol and extra bag balm or body glide. Uh, you'll also want to be able to treat scrapes and to treat scra scrapes and cuts. I don't know why I'm having trouble saying that, but so like alcohol wipes, wet wipes, um, uh, band-aid, butterfly closure, two by fours, neosporin. Again, these are in draw bags, not on your person. You don't need to carry them around everywhere. Um, UV protection, some sunscreen, uh, and then use that. Don't just leave it in the bag. It does you no good in the bag. Uh, treating splinters and thorns, you'll need tweezers um, and even duct tape. Duct tape is a pretty awesome thing to have just in general. I would recommend just having it somewhere um, at all times. You don't need to carry it on you, but like in your draw bags at aid stations, your crew to have a roll of it. You never know what you can fix with that. So uh, the next thing, dry clothes and socks. You may want to strategically place dry clothes and socks after um, at aid or not aid stations, but at drop locations that are after river crossings. Um, Food, fuel, energy, you know, pack whatever you feel tested and think that you'll need at, at certain locations in your drop bag. And then never, again, uh, underestimate the utility of duct tape or baby wipes. I know that baby wipes is going to be an unpopular recommendation. Um, by no means am I saying, you know, like waste these things or definitely don't litter with them and leave them on the trail or put them in port johns or do any of the like nasty things that you can do with baby wipes but they do really they are really helpful and you know honestly the if you don't want to use baby wipes then just use the um the washcloth like i mentioned before you can easily put water on that and do the same thing that you could do with the baby wipes so uh pro tip on drop bags uh organize your stuff at least somewhat uh small net or clear bags will make it easier to divide the items up and to be able to see the contents so you're not like digging around in the dark for um, you know by feel trying to get the thing that you want uh, the idea is to have a few easily accessible items just to grab and go you know you don't want to waste too much time at these drop locations or even at aid stations you don't want to waste any time you just want to be doing what you need to to do whether that's um, rest eat um, first aid or, or whatever and then get out of there uh, so just notice that I didn't mention music devices uh, those are intentionally omitted these things although they're nice can be a distraction from uh, 
a person's surroundings and what happens when they break or misbehave. For me, it's uh, more of a priority to remain focused on the task at hand um, and get through the event safely. So here's a simple trick. If you have a setup, this is sort of like gaming the system. If you have a setup or a way to get good food, like a cheeseburger or a big fat burrito, soup, chili, whatever your druthers, whatever you're into, it can be a game changer. Like any little thing, if it's like a, a whole pizza, I don't know, Supreme pizza or whatever, uh, Drinking Tailwind and surviving on small snacks for 20 plus hours, it gets old really quick. Um, so you can do that or you can finish in under 20 hours. So up to you. Uh, there is a gear list that I posted for the Ultra Trail uh, Mount Fuji, which I mentioned before. I'm, I've got my sights set on. I'm interested in another 100 miler. And this is the one. Uh, this is a trail uh, 100 mile marathon ultra marathon i'm sorry gosh uh that it goes around mount fuji not uh proximal but sort of like out of ways you can read all about it in the the rules which are linked um at arunathought.com but it also gives a um a complete gear list for that so these are mandatory items that you have to have on your person and in your kit uh and then I was reading in their, their rules that they actually uh, do weight. So your, your pack has to weigh a certain amount at all times. And then they do periodic spot checks for, for gear. So um, I think that that's good. You know, it's Japan. Uh, Japan's very um, thorough, I guess, in, in a lot of the, the things that they, they do. It's a part of their society and so it makes sense that they would do a lot of checking um just because of the culture but then also it makes sense that they would do a lot of checking because um you would probably not be surprised at how many people are just like i don't need that i don't need that i don't need that and just leave a bunch of stuff that they really probably end up needing at home so um i think it's it's cool and i'll be sure to pack all the gear list in my pack when i go um, but yeah, so a link to that is on aronathought.com. So I, I may have talked about this before, but during the, um, the hundred miler, I was one of the lucky people that got to have hallucinations. And, um, you know, while I was having them, I knew that they weren't real right on one hand, but then on the other, the, in the other, um, uh, lobe of my brain I was completely convinced that I was seeing things in the woods like uh, for instance like a brick house with a brick mailbox a little girl like running around like skipping around in a yellow jacket um, trucks and cars parked you know in the middle of nowhere like in the middle of these woods uh, this was like forestry area so there's nothing out there uh, propane tanks, a radio antenna. I knew that the finish line was close to a radio antenna, so I think that I wanted to to see that, and so I kept. I I, I had that hallucination where I was seeing that, but uh, at any rate, these were all 
sort of uh, the hallucinations that I had were all sort of like signs of um, civilization. And I had been out so long and not seen anything, uh, you know, other than, you know, nature and remoteness that I think my brain was kind of wanting, you know, to see cars and trucks and people and propane tanks and radio antennas. So, so yeah, that's how it was for me. Something to think about, you know, you're going to be in an altered state for sure, even if you're not seeing uh, things that aren't there. Um, and so that's where it comes in handy to have a crew that, that uh, is on board with you and then to do some pre-planning to sort of simplify your life as much as possible. Um, yeah, so uh, some other things that may be helpful uh, during any run I'm taking these straight from Daniel's Laws of Running, which is a book that I own. I've got a link to, I believe this is a link to a blog article. And um, you can buy the actual book on Amazon or online somewhere else. Uh, But yeah, so here's uh, 12 rules that I think are very handy. And this could go for the 100 miler or this could go for basically any any running distance. So number one, every runner has uh, specific individual abilities. Number two, a runner's focus must stay positive. Number three, expect ups and downs. Some days are better than others. Number four, be flexible in training to allow for the unexpected. Number five, set intermediate goals. Number six, concentrate on the task at hand. Number seven, most mistakes in races are made early in the race. Number eight, training should be rewarding, rewarding, sorry. Number nine, eat and sleep well. Number 10, don't train when sick or injured. Number 11, chronic health issues should be checked by a professional. And number 12, a good run or race is never a fluke. So obviously there are too many of those for me to go into like, detail on what all of them sort of uh, mean or, or, or indicating, but I think they're pretty, like on their face, pretty self-explanatory, and I would say that all of them are pretty equally important. Um, also, Daniel's Laws of Running this is a neat book if you are into sort of that, um, I guess, like statistically backed um training regimen type of uh, mindset or, or running ethos. Um, it, it's uh, proven. I mean, it's like field proven knowledge that's coming from uh, a running coach. So it's a good book to, to take a look at. Daniel's Laws of Running. Um, and actually, I don't think that's the name of the book. Let me grab it here. Hang on. Sorry. Yeah, I've got to find it. I put it up somewhere. Okay, yeah, sorry. I knew that I was uh, saying that wrong. So Daniel's Laws of Running is actually the list that I just read off, but that comes from 
uh, Daniel's running formula. And so I've got the third edition, which is a little bit older, but um, you can find the newer editions online. So sorry about that. It's Daniel's running formula. And then the uh, laws of running are within that text. So uh, moving on, we'll shift our focus to Strava's new heat map. And so I like to mess around in Google Earth, um, not Google Maps. I mean, I like to mess around in Google Maps too, uh, to, but I like to mess around in Google Earth to scout for trails and uh, other interesting places uh, from the comfort of my desk. Uh, I recently discovered that Strava has updated their heat maps to a 3D version. And so um, I did not make a link to that. I'm sorry, I apologize, but um, you can, or maybe I did. I think I actually did link to that, but I just didn't uh, have the link in this section. But at any rate, you can just search for uh, Strava 3D heat map and take a look. I think the thing that I linked was to just a general heat map that shows all of the runs that everybody's done. Um, and I believe it focuses on the Hawaii Islands. But it's it's very cool. Um, to see things in 3D and then also see like where the trails are and um, how it, it's got varying um, coloration. So it shows you like how heavily uh, different trails are trafficked. And so that's cool to, to see too. Um, but think Google Earth. Uh, if you've never used that, it's basically... It's basically a 3D model of the Earth, and you can zoom in um, to the point where, like, you can see ridges, and 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 there's the um, the illusion of being able to see, like, if you're looking at a crater, you can sort of um, quote unquote see the depth uh, and the height uh, in those visualizations, also, and it's completely uh, immersive. So you can tilt the the globe, or you can move. Um, you know, north, south, east, west, you can um, tilt the angle. So like you can look from the side of the the earth or you can go directly over um, a piece of land. Uh, so the, the Strava thing is just like that. Their 3D heat map is just like the Google Earth, except for it's got all of these heat map trails laid out on it. So you get the that visualization, which is very valuable for somebody that wants to scout out trails and, and see what's popular or where things uh, are in, in relation to different landmarks and stuff. So things that I explore for uh, just on Google Earth, you know, all around Hawaii Island, I think it's a, it's a very useful tool. Um, to do some scouting and not use a bunch of gas. And then, you know, Hawaii, you never know, like, what's going to... You get to a place and then sometimes it's... Uh, there's no access or there's gates or it's um, it's private property or, or whatever. Of course, there's no way to really tell that on Google Earth per se, but you kind of get a better idea of, of what you're actually looking at terrain-wise. So... 
Um, all around Hawaii Island, I look uh, obscure atolls and islands around the Pacific and Atlantic. I mean, it's really interesting to, um, you know, a lot of these places I'll probably never go to, but it's amazing how many atolls and islands, uh, some uninhabited, are just out in the, the Pacific and Atlantic Ocean. Very cool to see, like, where these, these places are. Um, you know, geography is not a strong suit for me. I know like major, you know, like the locations of, of major countries, but there, there's some things that, uh, I've surprised myself, like all the, the U S Pacific islands. I, uh, until Google earth until recently was not super familiar with the, you know, the, uh, location of places like American Samoa and, um, um, Marshall Islands, uh, you know, these places. And so it's cool to be, to be able to see those, um, and where they are in relation to the, the rest of the continents and everything. Then the shapes too, because, uh, when you're looking at things like Marshall Islands, it's, it looks like little donuts in, in the middle of the ocean. It's not even like an island. It's, uh, just like a little semicircle or, or circle or whatever. And some of them will have like one road that runs through. And it's just kind of cool to explore these places. Um, I also do some, uh, what do you call it? Like uh, reminiscing, I guess, like our old neighborhood. So like I look at our old house sometimes. Uh, Arabia Mountain, which was a state, you know, Panola Mountain, Arabia Mountain State Park was a place that I like to run at quite a bit and spend time at. It was really nice to have that 15 minutes from the house that we lived in, Decatur. Uh, John's Mountain, which I, I talked about a little bit before. That's where part of the 100-miler I did uh, took place. And I've, I've got some other good memories from around there with my family and then um, with some friends that uh, we did some runs up and through there just... You know, things that will stick in my mind probably till the day I die uh, that are just affiliated with that area. And it's nice to be in Hawaii, but still be able to do, um, you know, still be able to explore that area that's so far away from the comfort of my desk chair. Uh, and, of course, I look at places around Hawaii, so like Puo, um, which is just crazy, uh, especially when you're like actually out there and getting up close to it. What a freaky, uh, volcano that is. What a freaky crater, uh, Mount Aloha, uh, Helena Pali trail. And then, uh, also I, I get kind of nostalgic for Japan cause I haven't been back in several years and I absolutely, uh, I adore Japan and, and everything about it and always have a great time when I get to visit. Uh, but Sugadaira, where I did the um, 50K a couple of years ago, uh, the Nagano Hakuba ski jump is cool to look on uh, Google Earth. Cause it's such a massive landmark, like just smack dab in the Olympic village in Nagano. Um, and then Kamikochi is another place that I like to look to. We, my family and I did some, uh, camping 
there uh, the last time uh, we were all in Japan together. And it was cool. We just, you know, we stayed in a tent. It's a very neat area. We saw a bunch of monkeys uh, everywhere, um, which was interesting in itself. But, uh, but yeah, just a beautiful area and it's high elevation um, and just good memories. And it's cool to be able to, like, again, uh, sound like a broken record, but to be able to visit those places um, just all in one session. You know, I can jump all around the globe in Google Earth. But yeah, so I, I did want to mention Google Earth, but also the new heat map feature on, on Strava. Very cool um, that they they did that update to a 3D version. Um, speaking of places around Volcano, uh, I wanted to give honorable, not honorable mention, but a, a mention of trails that I find spooky uh, <laughs> within or sort of around uh, Volcanoes National Park. So Pu'o'o, from every angle, the cone looks so ominous in the distance. And the closer you get, the more scary uh, to me it, it looks. Um, and so if you're unfamiliar, I believe up until 2018, this uh, was still active. Uh, I want to say it's dormant or inactive at this point. Um but still, it's it's just the shape of it is very creepy, um, and then the hike out is is pretty rough as well. Um, next up is Helena Pali. This is great. It's a great trail. I enjoy it, but um, it's so remote, and it's quite an ascent to get back. This thing basically uh, switchbacks. Um, uh, down a huge ridge. I think the ridge is somewhere around three, two or 3,000 feet, I believe. Um, and so you got to walk back up that on your way back. And the, uh, van, uh, we call it not vantage point, but like the depth perception is very, it's, uh, tricky because you'll, you know, you'll go about two miles towards the coast and you'll think that you've got about two miles to go and then you'll go two more miles and then it'll look like you've got two more miles to go and so on and so forth. So it, it always looks like the coast is much closer than it actually is. So it's sort of tricky in that respect. Also, if it's a, um, if it's a sunny day and there's no clouds, it's very exposed. So, um, there's that, and then you never know if the uh, water reservoirs at the campsites are going to have any water in them. And then even if they do, you, you have to filter that water. You can't just drink it straight out of the, uh, the tanks. So it's kind of like, you know, there's a lot of, not a lot of risk. I don't, I don't want to paint it with that brush, but you got to pack enough water. And so there's a little bit, there's a little voice in the back of your head, or at least there should be like, do I have enough water? Do I have enough food? You know, what if such as happens? Do I got my phone? Is it, can I call someone? Um, those kind of things, or at least for me, I tend to agonize over everything, but, but yeah, so Helena Polly, definitely the, uh, or not the second most spooky, but another spooky trail for me. I love to go out there, but not really by myself. Uh, Mauna Loa. 
you can get lost so easy. I'm not talking about Mauna Loa Road. Um, I'm talking about when you actually get on the the hiking trail up to the uh, summit of Mauna Loa. Once you get to a certain point, um, which is not very far into this trail, it's so easy to get lost. Everything looks the same. Uh, and there's naturally piles of rocks, which look like the kyarns or the um, the trail landmarks that are placed uh, to designate like where the trail actually is. Uh, and then when it's dark, everything just sort of like looks like the trail because uh, periodically it will rain and um, the water will wash, you know, sort of not trenches, but like patterns into the, uh, the earth. And so those patterns look like, you know, the trail if you, if it's dark and you're just like going off a headlamp. So it's very easy to get lost. I've had to use, um, Garmin back to start to get back to my truck before, cause it was dark and weather moved in. And yeah, I think I've told that story, but, but yeah, so Mauna Loa is another one. And so it's kind of a short list. I didn't really develop that <laughs> that list that well. There's not too many scary, scary trails uh, on Hawaii Island. Um, there's some that are scary for other reasons, but those reasons are people. And uh, so I don't think that really counts. I just wanted to, to highlight the ones that are like just naturally the landscape is kind of spooky. Um, so moving on, speaking of getting lost, uh, National Geodetic Survey Data Explorer. So I found out about this website um, because I was searching for information on the um, USGS landmarks. And if you frequent national parks or high elevations, you've probably come across these survey marks. They're about four or five inches round uh, metallic plates with data stamped into them. Um, and they're usually set into a stone or a solid surface. So if you do a image search for National Geographic survey markers, you can see a ton of them. Uh, bone up on your landmark knowledge at uh, libraryguides.usgs.gov slash benchmarks. That'll tell you all about these survey marks. Um, and then also there is uh, email uh, ngs.infocenter at noaa.gov and a phone number that you can call and that's all posted on Um For information about marks set by the USGS, you can contact the National Geospatial Technical Operations Center at tnm underscore help at usgs.gov but I suspect that you could probably find most of the information you need from the uh, library guides um, slash benchmark site that I mentioned just now. Uh, you can also see, and this is the interesting part, you can see the information that's associated. So like a, a whole data sheet that's associated with a particular landmark um, at this site, which is www.ngs.noaa.gov and then slash NGS data explorer. And so you 
can look on a map and you can find a, like, so say you see a particular landmark um, while you're hiking on a trail, you can go to the NGS data sheet and see all the information for that. And it's just got a ton of stuff on there about each landmark. And sometimes they'll have a photo of it. Um, yeah, so it's pretty interesting. So you can actually use the data that's associated with the, the metal landmark. So I wanted to mention that and just to pique your interest and get you to um, sort of investigate further. Obviously, um, I'm not a geologist or uh, a person that would work for NOAA, so um, I'm not going to sit here and try to speak educatedly on these landmarks, but um, I just wanted to let you know that that site's out there, and I looked at it and thought it was pretty cool. Uh, moving on uh, to the next subject, VO2 max. What is VO2 max? And I'm reading this uh, because I would never remember it. VO2 max is the maximum volume of oxygen in milliliters that you can consume per minute per kilogram of body weight at your maximum performance. So VO2 max is an indication of aerobic fitness and it should increase as your level of fitness improves. So there's a couple of, um, well, there's a bunch of links uh, and articles that I uh, looked at and I was trying to accumulate knowledge on the subject. And so uh, CNET had an article, VO2 max, everything you need to know. Uh, the Running Channel has great videos, and that is on uh, YouTube. Um, there's a link to it. They do a good job of uh, explaining out, you know, VO2 max, and then they've got companion videos that show you, like, how to improve it, um, all kinds of other, other suggestions and things uh, around VO2 max and other running-related topics. Uh, Daniel's running formula again uh, I've got a link to where you can buy that on Amazon um, and that does have sections that explain vo2 max and go into depth on um, how that's tested and how to increase it and you know what the good ranges are um, for it and the ranges are going to vary depending on your age and then also whether you are uh, male or female. And so there's different, uh, different ranges. So I am a male and I'm between the ages of 40 and 49. So uh, for me, superior would be a 52.5, excellent 46.4, uh, good 42.4, Fair, 38.5, and then poor would be anything less than 38.5. And so I think mine is in the excellent range. I think it's like 48 uh, last time I looked. But that was going off of my watch and not um, like a lab test with a bunch of wires hooked up to me, like stress test. And so I think that the stress test is really the recommended way to um, to measure this, like in a control, you know, controlled conditions on a treadmill, like at max effort, and then they're measuring like your um, 
your breathing and um, probably your oxygen level uh, as well with like a pulse oximeter or something like that. And probably other instruments that I'm not even knowledgeable of. But yeah, so I think that's the best way. I think that the watch gets sort of close. Matter of fact, if even if you consult uh, Garmin's um, help pages or their manuals, it'll tell you that, you know, the watch gets, uh, you know, ballpark. It's not like a, a pinpoint accurate tool for measuring uh, VO2 max. And it is dependent on your uh, weight as well and your age. And so uh, if you don't input that stuff correctly into uh, like Garmin Connect or, or what have you, it's not going to calculate your your rate um, accurately either. And so how many times do people like me who are actually 222 pounds put that they weigh 180 because they would love to weigh 180 instead of 222 pounds, you know what I mean? So um, you may do that and then forget and then your stuff is all wonky and wrong. So I would say make sure to have all that stuff right, like put in your accurate age, put in your accurate weight, and then um, even with that being accurate, the calculation will still be like a ballpark. Um, but so there's different ways to increase it. Most of these involve um, sort of like, not circuit training, but uh, like periods of intense activity followed by like uh, sort of like a less intense period and then you go back into the intense period and then you repeat it. So um, for example, like an 8 by 20 second high intensity and then a 10 second rest. So like fan bike, you could do 10 minutes of uh, 40 full on and then 20 steady. Um, so like 10 minutes where you're doing 40 seconds of full on, like just pedaling as hard as you can. And then 20 seconds of just like a steady, just like maintenance pace on the fan bike. Um, and then long hill reps, like an easy jog and then a very hard uphill and then back down battle ropes. I'm thinking that swimming probably would help a lot with VO2 max. That's just my, my guess. Um, what will probably not work is uh, supplements off the internet, like anything that's promising. Like if you take this pill, you'll you'll get, um, or this tablet or capsule or whatever, you'll get increased VO2 max. I, I would be weary of that. And then also in advice from me uh, will probably not work. So make sure you consult a professional before you go nuts on, on anything, uh, including the links that I'm giving. Uh, that's just a disclaimer. I just try to accumulate this stuff and get you sort of interested uh, in figuring out, you know, what works for you. So I'm not saying, like, do any of these things. I'm just uh, throwing it out there. Um, so like we talked about, uh, watches the measurement. If you look at uh, Garmin's manual for the 945 XT, it's actually on page 42 where it talks about the accuracy of um, their watch in measuring heart rate from the, the wrist and also the, the VO2 max. Um, there's also other studies that have been done. Uh, I linked to that as well. 
uh, are, are linked to one of those as well. It's called accuracy of Garmin and Polar smartwatches to predict VO2 max. And so what they, they found in a nutshell um, is that, you know, they're not pinpoint accurate, which I've already said before. So like I mentioned, uh, heart rate plus age plus gender factor into that. So you want to make sure those settings are all correct um, in whatever software tool you're using to, to get your VO2 max. Um, another thing that's important to be fit is rest. So no matter what your VO2 max is, you want to make sure you're getting uh, plenty of rest and that goes for sleep, but also just uh, time in between hard efforts for your body to repair itself. Um, yeah, I, I don't know why I included this, but I thought again that it would be cool to build out a VO2 max progress page like spark.com. That's real original since I already thought about it for the, um, toughness thing but uh, Strava has a fitness timeline that goes back two years that's worth a mention you can actually um, navigate to that and then see like uh, a fitness value I think it only works if you've got some type of heart rate measurement for each um, each run that you do so whether you wear like a chest heart rate um, monitor or if you got a wrist heart rate um, measurement on your watch uh you'll be able to get this fitness score and i think it goes from like zero to a hundred it's on that scale um you can look at that back two years or you can break it down into like smaller increments so like over the last month over the last three months six months year so on um for next time maybe we can talk about some other items like uh, EPOC, which is excess post exercise oxygen consumption. That's the increase in oxygen your body uses after a workout, not during the workout itself. Um, and then also lactate threshold, which is the point during exercise where lactate builds up in your bloodstream faster than your body can expel it. And so uh, one of the things that happens with lactate buildup is intense pain. So, <laughs> so maybe that would be worth talking about uh, in another episode. Um, the Garmin 945 XT trail activity is another thing I wanted to touch on. And I'm, I'm winding it down now, um, getting close to the end. But I wanted to talk about this because I've had many watches uh, from Garmin um, and I've had 945 XT for probably, I don't know, at least three years, maybe four years. Uh, I'm actually on my second one right now. The fir first one broke. But anyway, I digress. Uh, the manual for this 945 XT, uh, I've linked to that on aronathon.com. But I recently, within the last few months, discovered that there's a trail activity, not just a run activity, but a trail run uh, activity, um, which will, when you select it, instead of just selecting run, you select trail activity. It gives you um, an additional screen with a trail map on it. So you no longer have to um, navigate specifically to um a menu that shows you trail map. It's just sort of included in the default ones that you can scroll through 
like during your activity. Uh, hopefully that makes sense to you. Um, you've got the trail map. And then also another thing that it does is uh, when you're going up uh, an incline, it will automatically switch uh, the top most uh, number that's displayed to uh, elevation gain. So it'll start giving you, you know, how much elevation gain you're doing at the moment. So it'll let you know, like you're climbing this many feet right now. Um, and it's a cumulative total. So like it'll keep going up as you're, you're um, moving up the incline. And then once you're to the top and steady off, it'll go back to whatever was displayed there before. So that's kind of cool. I'm probably doing a horrible job of describing that, but uh, this trail activity is described like from the link that I'm providing and you can see how to navigate to it. But um, there's also an ultra run activity that I didn't know about. That's on page nine of the manual. Um, I don't think I had a, I don't think I had a page number for the trail run activity, but it's in there somewhere. But the ultra run activity I, I've got written here, it's on page nine of the manual. And so um, another thing that you can do as well, besides the trail run and ultra run activity, you can turn off the VO2 max recording or you can turn it on. Um, I've got the instructions listed, I believe, at arunathought.com. Let me double check just to make sure I didn't delete those. Do, 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 there's a lot. Nope, I've still got them listed there, but you can also find those in the manual. And so sometimes you may not want to record VO2 max, but if you do, uh, you can uh, find the instructions on how to turn that setting on and off. And then also, uh, the Garmin manual on page 42, I think I already mentioned it again, but it uh, will tell you about VO2 max estimates and sort of like the um, the data quality that you get from a, a, a wrist heart rate measurement or just from the, the watch in general, whether you're using a chest strap or the uh, wrist heart rate. And so... Um, I didn't think that I would ever get to it, but it looks like I've come to the end of everything that I had planned for this episode. Uh, I I won't say I'm sorry because I've been super busy with other stuff, um, but I wish that I wouldn't have taken so long between episodes. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to do more of these more often. I bought um, a field recorder, so... Uh, this is actually a funny story to close off with, or maybe not so funny, but uh, I bought a recorder. It's made by Zoom. It's called the H1N. They're pretty easy to, to find uh, all around the internet. But uh, I bought this little recorder with the intention of being able to record while I'm doing long runs with uh, my running group or with a partner on um, Saturdays or Sundays or whatever. Uh, to be able to, you know, have a, put a little more layer of interesting into the uh, into the fold. So I bought this recorder and then I was actually, I didn't plan on recording last weekend, but I brought the recorder with me um, just in case. 
And so I had this recorder sitting in my front seat. Uh, and I also had coffee on my dash. And the coffee was inside of a Stanley um, Admiral's cup, I guess. And the cup has a top on it. And so it's like all sealed up um, and enclosed as much as you can be in like a coffee mug. But uh, but this, that was sitting on my dash. And so as I'm pulling out of uh, the road that we live on and out into the main highway, there's a car like off in the distance that's, that's coming up on me. And so I want to make sure that I'm giving him enough room. So I kind of gonna not a lot but just enough to where I, I was also coming up onto the highway on sort of a incline so I was kind of tilted like up a little bit so I mean you, you're probably putting it together right now but I, I sort of gun it and then the the coffee tips and falls into the seat and of course it falls completely upside down the lid comes open coffee starts leaking out of it um it was sort of a perfect storm. I had a Gore-Tex jacket sitting in the seat and then the recorder was on top of that. And so Gore-Tex is not a super breathable material. Um, it's also good at holding water uh, or liquid. And so the coffee is just pooling in this jacket and the recorder is sitting in it. Um, and that alone is horrible um, for electronic devices. But uh, to add um, to it, add insult to injury, I had MCT oil in that coffee. And so if you are unfamiliar, MCT oil had actually eaten the, um, the rubber stopper off of that coffee cup that, uh, that I had sitting on my dash that tilted over in my truck it had actually eaten the, the rubber on that. And um, I guess, it, I don't think I'm wrong here, but I, th I think MCT oil is like an essential type oil. And uh, those are notorious for eating things um, and just being horribly caustic to different kinds of uh, plastics. So the initial damage wasn't terrible. Uh, I actually managed to pull the recorder out in, in time uh, and it wasn't on, so there was no power running through it. I was able to get it before it got like super soaked in this puddle of coffee. But what happened was the coffee with the MCT oil got inside of the recorder. And so although the electronics weren't damaged, the plastic casing started to deteriorate from the inside out. And so like literally... Like, as I was holding this thing later on in the day, like, chunks of plastic were just breaking off of it. And so, like, I, I had had this recorder for, like, a couple of days. Like, not even a week. And I had already broken it um, that fast. And so, I, um, I ordered another one. And it is on its way. It was actually delivered, but there was a problem at the... Uh, the private mailbox that we use. Somebody else picked up my packages today. So I'm hoping that um, tomorrow they'll bring those back. Um, 
and then I'll have a replacement field recorder. But even then, I still don't know how well it's going to do in the field. You can get the, um, you can plug an external mic into it. So I may have to get some of those, uh, I forgot what they're called. It's like the lapel mics and use that instead. Um, but I did, I ordered um, like a furry wind blocker to put on the top. So I'll try that first and see how it goes. I don't know how well the mics on it pick up um, other people beside me, besides me though. So I don't know. It may not be good for um, a one-on-one type of a podcast, but that was my hopes was to be able to get a conversation going and, and actually be on the trail and talk about interesting things um, instead of just like rattling off a list of um, sort of like curated topics that, that I had thought of. But yeah, in general, I'm trying to make the, the podcast more interesting. So hopefully this will be a step in the right direction. But if you made it to this point, um, I just want to say thanks for uh, listening and uh, hopefully this was uh, useful, beneficial to you. Uh, and hopefully I'll be able to do some more of these in the near future. Uh, I want to remind everybody to please visit the shop at uh, com. There's uh, LBC DBC gear, which if you're not familiar, um, that is live by the couch, die by the couch. Um, that's what LBC DBC stands for. I know it's a little bit morbid and macabre, um, but I don't mean it that way. I just mean like get out there and do something, whatever it is. Like don't waste your life away inside. Um, if you can, if you're able to to do it, get out and move. Uh, but I've got a trucker hat and beanie back on the site. Um, I had to like redesign those and submit new design templates to, to Teespring. But uh I also added Mongoose Mike and the Blind Boys of Beach Road shirts. If you don't know what any of that means, you can go back and um, suffer through some of the earlier podcasts uh, where I'm talking about running along Beach Road. I try to keep all the prices in the store barely above cost, um, so check that out. And there's some new stuff in there as well. Um, besides the stuff I just listed, you may see some stuff that says, uh, see you next Tuesdays. That's actually the running group that, um, I run with. I did not make up that name, but I support it. Uh, <laughs> holy, I did, uh, design the, uh, the shirts and stuff, but, uh, if you want some of those, you can also get those too. I don't know why you would want those if, unless you're in our, um, running group but i mean you're welcome number one to be in our running group anybody's welcome as long as you're cool and then you're welcome to to get that gear if you should want it but definitely check out the lbc dbc gear and uh continue to listen to the podcast and uh, get out on the trails and just uh be well in general and be kind to each other and yeah i think that's that's all i've got for now so take care